Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and each week my guests and I give you and your loved ones tools to heal from the crisis of pornography, sexual betrayal, abuse, and betrayal trauma. But we're not going to stop right there. I also want you to go on and experience the joy of lasting connection in your most important relationships. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in and get to work. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's good to be with all of you once again. This week's episode is going to be a discussion on enabling, how to recognize it, what to do about it. It's such a common thing in so many relationships. I certainly have been super guilty of this one in a lot of my relationships because we just want to be nice. We want to help people out. It's just hard sometimes to see people suffer. And especially if you came from a family system where there was poor boundaries or people didn't speak up and say what they needed or what they thought, then a lot of the times we can get caught up in enabling patterns that are really harmful to our mental and physical health and even our long-term relationships. I'm joined this week by Valerie Hamaker, and technically I'm joining her on her podcast. I'm going to feature uh, an episode of her podcast where she had me on as a guest to talk about a case that she worked with, with a woman who uh, was in a relationship with a guy that was a lot like her own dad, who was an alcoholic, and she had to take care of him a ton. And so she ended up in an adult relationship with someone else who had a lot of the same patterns that her dad did. If you want to listen to the episode that this uh, my interview with her is based on, it's episode 97 on her podcast called Voices About Living. And I will feature that uh, in the show notes there so you can click on it and go right to it and listen to that episode. But my episode with her is just the two of us talking about enabling behaviors, how to recognize them, what to do about them. And it's so engaging and so interesting. Valerie's a great host, and it was a real privilege to be a part of her podcast. So I'm going to jump right in and share this interview with Valerie Hamaker from her podcast, Voices About Living. Welcome to Voices About Living. This is Valerie. So grateful to have you here. And today I'm delighted to have a guest with me, a fellow therapist. I'd like you all to meet uh, Jeff Stewart. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is so great to have you here. I am a fan of Jeff's podcast, and I want to just have you maybe talk a little bit about what it is that you do, Jeff, and what your podcast is all about, because it's fantastic. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the podcast is called From Crisis to Connection. And the bulk of the work that I've done in my 20 plus years as a therapist is surrounding uh, relationship betrayal mm. and mostly sexual betrayal. Okay. Um, but people come in for all kinds of different betrayals. But the, the bulk of what I love to do is to help people take a relationship that's been totally devastated by an affair, an addiction, um, some sort of major indiscretion that's really messed up the bond and, and so on and help them rebuild connection. It's a very complicated process. It's mm -hmm. a long journey. And so I started the podcast as a way to bring on experts, guests, other couples, just to provide resources and support and hope and have conversations around all the millions of things that are involved yeah. in trying to heal 
uh, a broken relationship. And the good news is, is that people do get better. And yeah. so it's been, it's been so exciting to be a part of it. You warm my heart in what you're saying, because that has been my exact experience. I have worked with quite a bit of betrayal trauma, whether it be in relationship betrayal. And also I have quite a bit of background and training in um, struggles around um, sexual addiction and things Mm -hmm. like that. And I think what you said that really resonates deeply with me is that it, people can get better. Marriages can heal and human beings heal regardless of whether the marriage heals that people can overcome that one way or the other. And um, it's so important, I think, for us to make sure that we're shining a light on that over and over again. So your work is beautiful. I listened to several of your podcasts and um, so happy to have you here. Yeah, it's such, it's important work and yeah. we can all relate to it in some way or another, yes. even if you've personally never been addicted to anything right. or never like crossed major lines, or if you've never been betrayed deeply, yeah. the themes and the stuff we talk about are universal. Huge. They're, they're huge. We're all, and actually, we're all on a very similar journey. Yep. I could not agree more. And actually what you just said segues beautifully into what you and I have kind of decided we wanted to talk about today. And I think what we're going to do is we're just going to, you and I are going to have a conversation um, just as if we're sitting in a room chatting together. And it's about it's loosely related, not even, not even maybe loosely, it's, it's fairly tightly related to what we're talking about. We are going to talk about the concept of enabling because right. so much of what we encounter in our relationship healing work has to do with this idea of when one becomes an enabler and what that looks like, how that feels, and also the impact that it has both on the person that is enabling and the one who is enabled. And the reason why we are having this conversation is on the heels of my last week's episode where I interviewed my own former client um, named Michelle, because what she came to realize was that she had become kind of a professional enabler. Right, <laughs> uh, right. She had begun, and this is tradition, this is a very typical development most of the time and most classically enabling the word enabling comes from the alcoholics, the tradition of having an alcoholic in your family. It's actually, we understand it to be broader now, but this young woman had an alcoholic father and in an effort to want to help him, to save him, to protect him from his own toxic behaviors, parents had divorced and she moved in with dad to take care of him. And as her high school years, uh, progressed, she started recognizing that she was not being parented, but she was parenting and she kept trying to continue to help him and help him and help him. Eventually she broke free, but then she ended up pursuing multiple other relationships with intimate partners and was perpetuating the the exact same dance of finding people that needed her And then she became the enabler and he became the enabled. And our therapy work was all about helping her recognize what was going on there and helping her extricate herself from this role that she had come to play so well. Any thoughts and comments um, on that, Jeff, as we kick this off? Well, yeah. And if you haven't listened to the episode where she has the interview with with Michelle, it's it's so powerful. Um, I just... I just want to give this girl a big hug. I just feel like she's worked so hard and has done so much to break the chains that, you know, were thrown on her as a child. And um, I just, I just love the work she's done and who she is and who she's becoming and the new life she's creating. It's just so much courage, so much strength. 
Um, but but as far as the enabling piece, like just to you know really look at that, um, it's all really all about survival for for enablers, and I and especially for in her case, right? I mean, we're in in her story in particular, you know, her having to uh, go out and and start her dad's car, keep him warm, and I mean, like mm-hmm. very basic survival things. Worried that her dad wasn't going to be okay or survive to take care of her, right? Right. As a child, it's not about you're not really caring for another person just out of the sort of one way sort of benevolence. And I, I care about people. It's like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be okay. Right. And I think what you, what you're pointing out is huge because when someone becomes an enabler, especially in this particular situation that we're referring to, she was a minor, she was mm-hmm. a child and she had basic needs that she needed to have met. She needed the roof over her head. She needed food in the fridge. And so if she did not take care of her alcoholic father and he say, for example, lost his job, she stood to lose her capacity to be safe in the world. And so she assumed this responsibility that even in retrospect, and I, get, I can see how this happens. She felt like it was being really benevolent. It was like, and I think that's one of the big like traps that people that become enablers fall into is it feels generous. It feels kind. It feels like the right thing to do to help somebody who's in struggle. But we know, of course, that it, it isn't, it isn't the kind thing to do. What, what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's so tricky because it looks just like service. Right. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is like you hold those two up behavior for behavior. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like a straight line across you, yeah. you're, you're comparing, it looks like apples to apples, but the yeah. truth is it's apples to oranges. It's, it's such a different experience because when I'm serving someone, I'm not attached to the outcome. When I'm serving someone, I'm not taking care of me. When I'm serving someone, I'm not afraid. Right. These things for enablers are exactly what's happening internally for them. So externally, it looks all the same. Internally, the experience is markedly different. So if on the inside, it's, it's what I just said for enablers. It is fear. It is uh, panic. It's control. It's a sense of um, I, I'm obsessed and tracking and care deeply about this going right. This has to go right. Yes. You can't relinquish it. It's like if you let go of it, then you risk not being okay yourself. And I've never met an enabler who loved enabling, it, it, but I, but I've met lots of people who love serving, right? It's, so they're very different. Oh, man, God, you, you're just, you're giving me chills here because yes, to everything you said, enabling it's the, the misconception is that enablers enjoy this and they wake up in the oh. morning and they want that the, they're sort of complicit in this dynamic that in some way is gratifying to them. And I think there couldn't be something, anything further from the truth because it's like the enabler is caught in a toxic dynamic that they don't know how to get out of. And they don't enjoy the fact that they're basically living their life and managing their reality around the underdevelopment and the bad behavior of the person they're enabling. And I think the part of it that's so, that's so tricky and painful about this is, well, let me, let me double back just a little bit just to define what enabling means, it's basically being in a toxic dynamic in a relationship. It can be an intimate partner. It can be an adult child. It can be a friend. It can be a sibling. But it's it's where one party feels compelled to overfunction for the other party because the other party refuses to, to engage in age or stage appropriate behaviors in their adult life. 
And the dynamic becomes so toxic because the more the enabler over functions, the less the enabled learns how to do the very things that he or she needs to do to become a competent, confident adult that feels good about him or herself. So it hurts every party. And yet frequently, oftentimes they stay in this really toxic dynamic and it actually gets worse and worse for both parties because you're like, you're right. It's driven by fear and anxiety, I think on both sides. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is, it is a very self-reinforcing cycle because it's all based around the belief that one person is weak and both people are buying into and agreeing that the enabled is weak, that they absolutely can't do this. And, um, and the only way to break out of that is to, it's experiential. The only way to break yes. out of it is to actually allow both people to see that that's just not true. But that process mm-hmm. of, of oh. taking that step, taking that risk is so much easier said than done. You couldn't be more correct. And I think we, as therapists, we get to see this kind of like all the time. It's almost like you have to have a third party looking in on the system. I mean, this isn't mandatory, but I think it's helpful because these things sometimes develop rather insidiously, like very, very slowly, one sort right. of takes on one role and takes on the other. And then, so true. and and so they don't even actually mm-hmm. see the thing developing until it hits crisis. And the enabler feels, of course, the heaviness, the load and the burden of what this is, what's be, what, what this is becoming. And oftentimes while the enabled feels the shame, they also sometimes perpetuate more of the same, you know, I mean, in other words, they want, they want the other party to continue to do the things because honestly, I mean, I guess I'm only speaking for myself, but growth and development and doing things that are age and stage appropriate for me are sometimes kind of hard. I kind of rather somebody do it for me. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times there's, you know, there's this belief that, I mean, the the enabled feels powerless. I think they really do believe that they are powerless. Yes. I don't think that they're evil geniuses sitting around letting people do stuff for them. Okay. Um, a lot of the times you could look at it and say, oh, they're just lazy or selfish or whatever. And it's like, in some ways, they're, they're, they're stuck in a dance of believing that somehow they're not capable of certain things. And then the enabler is, in some ways, reinforcing that belief right. over and over and over again. So everybody's buying into this lie. And then if you really want to expand this out, in many cases, there's people enabling the enablers. I mean, there's just sometimes the change just goes on and on and on. And at some point, somebody has to say, I'm going to do to you what you need to do to the person below you and on and so oh, that's on. that's amazing. And we just need yeah. to like, so it can stop anywhere in the chain yeah. and eventually it'll catch up to the enabled. And then hopefully there can be some real change. You know, your point is excellent that oftentimes there are layers of complicity. Yeah. And I think this is true in family systems for sure. Yes. And I think, you know, what came up for me as you were talking, Jeff, is I think sometimes the big fear that we run into is let's just suppose for a moment that I, I stop this dynamic around enabling that, say, for example, I let the person lose their job because I'm waking them up and I'm shaking them out of bed and I'm getting them in there, you know, like I'm going to just stop doing this. The idea there is that what will people think? about me and about us as a family. I have this illusion of what I want us to be perceived as. And so there's an enormous amount of anxiety regulation when we stop playing our part in the enabling dance because 
I think sometimes we're even enabling as a self-protective measure because we're trying to manage our image as a couple or as a family or as a parent. Yeah. Or as a therapist. I mean, I, I've <laughs> yeah. been caught in this as a therapist where, yeah. Yeah. where there's been so many times in my, my career where I've got a case and I'm like, Oh, if this goes South, like what will the family think of me? What will this stakeholder, this referral yep. source, what will other therapists think of me? Like, you know, there, we can all get caught in protecting our own image, even though I'm not worried about my safety. I'm not worried yeah. about my, you know, my well being. I'm, you know, it just, it can, we can all play into these dynamics and have yeah. to be really honest with ourselves about what, you know, where, what our part is. And it's sneaky. I'm telling you, because <laughs> you feel like you're helping. That's what's so yeah. sneaky about it. Yes. Is in some ways it actually feels like the, you know, as a believer, it's like, well, it's the Christian thing to do. I mean, totally. I want to keep giving more. And what if I try this? And what if I try that? And maybe I could take on the, like, I know this is one of the things I find myself doing is saying something like, well, I just didn't perform well enough in this particular task. I need to, you know, and again, it's nice to think, wow, I'm trying to be more accountable. I'm trying to do something differently. And this time it'll be different because I will do something better. And once again, that's why, like you're saying, it's sneaky, couldn't be, it's so true because at some point in time we have to pull back and go, wait a second. Like, and I think that's where we have to do a like real good, serious gut check. Like what is exactly going on here and how much it, do I care about this more than the party that than the enabled how much am i actually complicit in keeping this person unwell and just to speak to what you were saying a second ago i was actually thinking about a case from a long time ago of i had sort of put a bottom line around some minimum standard behaviors that needed to be happening between um some parents and, a, and an adult child and I said, this needs to happen. And sure enough, they circled back a month or two later and they were sure that like this was different. Like this time, this time he was going, he hadn't done the thing that needed to happen. And I had that thought of like, okay, I can choose to enter into this enabling dynamic or I can model for them. No, I said, these things have to happen between in your system before I will participate any further. And it, again, I don't, I mean, my heart goes out to the parents because they just, you know, again, they wanted to give this child one last chance. Like everything had changed. And I just said, I won't do it until these th things happen. I would not be helping you. I would actually be contributing to the larger problem that is really, really um, destroying your family right now. So yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, it's so hard because you, you have to risk looking like the bad guy, the mean person, oh, yeah. because not only will the, you know, the enabled people probably respond to you, at least initially that way, but outsiders who don't understand all the information will look at you and say, like, you know, you're, you're cruel, you're uncaring. Yeah. So we have to, we have to be clear about what's really happening in that dynamic for us to get out of that and risk being misunderstood. That's been well, my I, I feel like it's almost a guarantee that we'll be misunderstood, mm -hmm, <laughs> right? mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> which, which is where this idea of like anxiety management, needing to metabolize what will people think in the neighborhood? What will people think at church? What will people think at Christmas Eve dinner? Like whatever that, wherever the crowd is where we want their approval, we want them to like us and think well of us. And yet at the same time, we also don't necessarily always owe everybody an explanation for the, the intricacies of why we're handling a situation as we choose to handle it. Because again, healthy people that extricate themselves from enabling relationships, uh, they have to do so oftentimes in, in 
rather drastic ways and in ways that there will be some pretty palpable consequences to the enabled, at least initially, meaning there, there's going to be some like shattered glass the first time the enabler says no more. I mean, and there's going to be some kickback and there's going to be parties on the outside wanting to sort of sweep in and become like another, you know, enabler <laughs> to take my place. Right. And it's messy. Yeah. It's ugly. Yeah, absolutely. It's you're you're shifting a system that yes, really nobody wants. Generally, most of us don't want to have to like look very closely at our part in things. Um, we're, we're we're all kind of complicit in letting yes. things just be what they are, and it, and it feels comfortable. I remember uh, years ago, our our now almost twenty year old son mm -hmm. uh, in high school had racked up a few speeding tickets. We mm -hmm. we basically said, "You're done driving. You're taking the bus." And uh, so he was like, I don't want to ride the bus. We're like, that's fine. So he'll, he was going to walk the three miles to school. Yeah. And so oh. we're like, fine, you can walk your big kid. And so he did, he would walk, but then like friends and family members would see him and pick him up. And so my wife, who is someone I've learned the most about yeah. uh, from this topic, she's, she's really clear, a clear thinker and really sees these things. Um, she would, she would find, like, he would come home and say like, yeah, I got a ride from so-and-so. And so she would call that person and just say, do you want to be a part of the solution? Part of the problem? Let's work through this. We really want to support wow. this kid and like understanding that, like, and so it's one of those things where in order to break this, this, you know, again, these people are doing good. They're thinking they're helping, right. they weren't helping. And what's interesting is that I find that in order to really get past that initial sort of shattered glass moment where all of a sudden the first boundary is set and everybody sort of freezes or panics or freaks out is that you have to have such a clear vision of what you're doing and why you're doing it to hold through that turbulence yes. because all the other players that want to do good or can't tolerate the anxiety or don't want somebody to struggle, they'll all swoop in from out of the woodwork oh, and sure. then you're going to have to like manage all that. Yeah. And I just appreciated her clarity about that, her willingness to say, you know what? You're an awesome person. Thanks. So thoughtful of you. Not helpful. Well, we are managing something inside of our home and we're very clear that this is in the best interest of the, what we want as the growing responsibility of our adult child. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Know? And, and sometimes people may hang the phone up and think, well, that's just the most scandalous thing I've ever heard. It's a cold day and, you know, whatever. And then it's just like, I appreciate your concern. And yet <laughs> this is, this is our request of you. This is our ask because we are trying to raise a competent, responsible human being. And, right. and this was when he was 16, by the way, mm -hmm. now he's, he's now yeah, okay. 20 and he's living on his own, but yeah, this was about four or five years ago. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, it's, it made a huge difference um, in terms of him getting the message. And, well, and how, how beautiful right. too, Jeff, that you were able to help this young man. Yeah. Those angsty teenage years. This is when we get all sorts of opportunities to help people like to help children <laughs> recognize yep. that they, they can step up to the plate and be right. more competent than they believe themselves to be, or then maybe they're even experiencing or witnessing amongst their peers or, you know, on social media or whatever. But you gave him the competence and the confidence through sticking to your bottom line that we believe that you are wise enough to learn that getting speeding tickets is not a good life plan, right? right. I mean, That's I mean, right. there was there was a lot of layers of lessons that you were teaching this young man by saying we you're 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 better than that, you're wiser than that, and as your loving parents, we want to help you see yourself for who you really are. Now that has, I want to pivot over to a question that's kind of coming up for me when we think about this, this, the challenge of, of, of this drawing a bottom line and maintaining a relationship, right? Because I think sometimes 
the enabled will sort of implode and move on to another enabling relationship, right? Um, I'm wondering about, you and I are both advocates of the importance of the attachment theory mm-hmm. and the deep value that this relationship, the bond between the parent and the child is, you know, that it's so fundamental to the growth and the development of the brain of the developing child and adolescent, and that moves them into the capacity to have healthy relationships in adulthood. How do you reconcile having a strong bond with, say, an adolescent child, while also holding very firm bottom lines around what we're talking about and not becoming somebody who's swooping in and sort of that helicopter parent idea. Cause it's sort of, that's sort of the, you know, the lingo that we use for enabling behaviors. See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I th- for me, it goes back to, again, that, that whole idea that seeing them as strong and capable and, and gotcha. able to solve their own problems and grow up and develop. And yeah. I think when we see them as weak and defenseless and yes. pathetic, then we start treating them. Yes less than human. We start lecturing, we start yeah. controlling, we start reminding, and they feel disrespected. And, yeah. and so I think that, for, I, I know for me in my, my clinical practice and my also, also just my lived experience with my yeah. own kids is that when my kids feel respected by me, that means that I, um, I'm clear about what I believe they're capable of and I expect them to do it. And I don't swoop in and remind them or, or yeah. panic or you know, call in other reinforcements. Mm-hmm. I just... I just, and then I let life teach him as well. And I don't rescue him from that stuff and we just stay with it. So I'm in relationship the whole time, you know, wow. Like, yeah, I'll totally go with you to your traffic, you know, traffic, uh, court situation and I'll be there for you, but I'll, I'll let you do the speaking and, but I love you and boy, this is super hard. And, um, but you got it, you know, you can face this, you can do this. I love what those kinds of things. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I just say like treating them like they're strong, staying in relationship with them. They feel respected. Yeah. And they may struggle with her, but they're not going to feel weak. That's for dang sure. Right. Because we're basically handing it back over to them and saying, I am not going to overfunction for you because I believe no. in you. And I think the other thing that you said that I really, really like, Jeff, is to help the child really, really metabolize the truth that I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry at you because I'm holding this bottom line. And this is part, the same with a partner, right? This is the yep. same thing. In other, like with an alcoholic partner who we're, we've been tiptoeing around and organizing our whole family around somebody who has something that is getting in the way to basically say, I have not been loving you well in not confronting this behavior. And because I love you and because I love our family, this has to change and I will no longer be doing that. Now that just requires, even as I'm saying it, I'm thinking about how when I have had occasion to do that, it is kind of terrifying. It takes an enormous amount of like sense of self and strength that it's like, I know you don't want this, but because I love you. And that is a very securely attached kind of way of relating to the person. In other words, that wouldn't engender an uh, ultimately an ambivalent or an anxious kind of attachment because the person on the receiving side, while they may not like it initially because the gig is up, they're seeing in us strength and reliability and a sense of like, wow, she knows who she is and she's she's going to stand up for it because she loves us. She loves me. She loves our family. And so I think what I'm, I'm kind of making sense of as you and I are, are kind of exploring this together is that there's going to be an initial 
problem. There, there's going to be like the moment when we say no more, it's going to probably, yeah, it's going to not be pretty. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and then maybe as we stick to it and we show this sense of depth and calm and a sense of wisdom, like I can be okay. Again, metabolizing our own anxiety around what the enabled is going to do and what all the people on the outside and how they think and how they feel and the, 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 the potential judgment, like all of that, as that sort of evens out, then things start, then we really start seeing the growth and the strength of the system. And that's when it, that's when things can become stronger than ever. Absolutely. And I, th I think what happens is, is when we, when we enable, when we start to believe people are weak and that we have yeah. to overfunction, yeah. then I think that we start speaking to them and relating to them like they're broken. And, it, and I think that they feel that. So a lot of the times our words become condescending or our tone sure. starts to patronize, or we start to even go after their character. Yeah. And we start to do this as a way to motivate them or to sort of say to them, like, look what you're doing to me or don't make me have to do this. Instead, when we come from a place of strength and a place of, I see you as capable, I see you as strong. And I'm very clear on like what I can and can't do and how this will diminish me if I keep doing this and it will diminish you. Mm. And we just hold that space. Then we don't have to go after their character. We don't have to speak to them disrespectfully and yell or silent treatment or control or do right. these things, we can just relate to them and talk with them. Um, I mean, I remember so many great conversations um, with our son during this time period where, you know, I would ask him questions about the bus or his walk or what he was doing and then talk about his day. And it just was understood yeah. that he was having to live the reality of his choices, but I still loved him. I wasn't going anywhere. I was still going to treat him like a regular person. Right. And this was not like a reflection of who he was as a person. We were handling it. Right. And that allows us to stay in relationship to people. That's amazing. That's amazing. The way you were able to sort of distinguish that we're doing this for your best good because developmentally it's the right thing to do, but it was actually giving him a sense of empowerment. And I love too, that this didn't sort of become the revolving subject that always ha was having to be. Exactly. Like, it didn't define the relationship at all. Exactly. And or again, the person, right? Oh, sure. you're just, you're a criminal or you're, yeah. you're a lazy kid or you're, right. yeah. you know, and, and that lot, when you're enabling, that's, that is what consumes oh. the relationship, the identity. All parties, right. Everybody's All wrapped around, organized it around this dysfunction and, yep. and stopping that dynamic allows you to relate to the person as a person now. To see them for tr who, who they truly are yeah. with all their gifts yeah. and potentials and right. struggles and Oh, this has been such a rich, beautiful conversation. Do you have any closing thoughts on this uh, as, as we wrap this up, Jeff? I just want people to trust the process and yes. recognize that um, in, in the beginning, it will feel like you're doing everything wrong as you yeah. start to set limits. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was Dr. Julie Hanks that said, no one's ever died from disappointment, right? So, <laughs> so yeah. when, when, you, when you first start recognizing, oh my gosh, like I feel resentful or I feel... Yeah this is unfair. I'm starting to feel really angry. I want to avoid this person. Mm. That's that signal of it's time to stop enabling and give them an opportunity to act in strength, to do things on their own with your love and support and presence. Yes. But you're shifting over into viewing them as capable and strong. And I mm -hmm. promise you, you will free up so many resources for yourself emotionally, and it will, it will dramatically increase the quality of your relationship with that person. Yeah, I couldn't say it more beautifully, Jeff. It, it's so true. We're going to have to manage a lot on the front end yep. to enjoy massive benefits 
of peace, Perfect. of reassurance, of the strengthening of the relationship on the back end. So mm, beautifully said. Yeah, and I have just stuff. so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Jeff. I invite all of you who have also enjoyed this conversation to jump on over to Jeff's podcast from Crisis to Connection and subscribe to that one. Subscribe to this one. And if you have a moment, it would be ever so meaningful to me for you to jump on and write a review and rate this podcast and share this with those in your circles who may benefit. So thank you all for being here and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. And I'm so glad that I got to share this interview with you from Valerie Hamaker. She's such a fantastic therapist and host. Thanks, Valerie, for having me on your show. And again, if you want to follow her podcast, I'll link to it in the show notes there. And once again, as always, thank you everyone for your great feedback, your support, your love. It's just nice to know there's a great community of people out there who are committed to moving from crisis to connection and healing their most important relationships. And of course, I've got tons of resources on my website, fromcrisistoconnection.com. And you can also follow me on social media, Instagram and Facebook. And links to all of that, of course, are down in the show notes. But hey, guys, look forward to hanging out with you next week. Thanks for being here.